Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. Today's reading comes from Revelation 3, 7 to 13. The angel of the Church of Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Jesus, as we come to you on this Palm Sunday and you make your way in to be worshipped and how in a week's time there would be an hour of trial for you to test us, just as the scripture says about your second coming, that no matter what this week would bring on us, how it would rock our, our foundations, that we would just continue to bring that focus back to you. We pray that you would just open our hearts for the words that Brandon is going to bring to us today, that we would hold it tight to have your name on our hearts as you call us to. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Brandon Rathbun. I'm the college communication director here, and it is so good to be with you guys this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome. And for those of us in person, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, as Nathan said, we're uh, in the back end of our sermon series called Seven, where we're looking at the seven letters in the book of Revelation, the beginning of Revelation, of, of written by Christ to the early church. And Throughout the weeks, we've seen what happens when a church compromises, when a church comes complacent, uh, when a church faces suffering. Uh, and this morning, we're going to be looking at the city of Philadelphia. And if you're like me, 
you're excited because we have a city that we can pronounce easily. Uh, our city group can attest to the fact that every week, week after week, I butcher these cities. Uh, so just right off the cuff, if I butcher another city, I apologize. But we, we recognize Philadelphia because we have a Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, and many of us know Philadelphia because of their sports teams, right? You have the, the Philadelphia Eagles who represent the, the, the Philadelphia on the football field. You have the Philadelphia 76ers who represent the, the city on the basketball court. You have the Phillies who are their pride and joy on the diamond. And of course, the Flyers who represent the city on the ice. And you'll, you'll, you'll never guess what, what I found when I was studying uh, this, this old city of Philadelphia. Because off the cuff, you might not think there's not a lot of similarities between current day Philadelphia and old Philadelphia, right? But if you look in your group books, you'll see that this church is named the Enduring Church. And I realized that the old city of Philadelphia and modern day Philadelphia sports fans both need to endure in the face of suffering. I, I couldn't preach on the city of Philadelphia without giving a little jab to Phillies fans. Uh, you, you Philly sports fans, you know that's true, and, and that it's, it's just, it, is, it is what it is. But uh, that brings us to the point. We're, we're going to be talking about the Church of Philadelphia, the Enduring Church. Uh, if you notice in your group guides, one of the things that I really like about these things is they give us some geographical notes about the city, the region that we're in. And uh, we see that Philadelphia is known for two main things uh, because of that they're in a, in a volcanic region. So because they're in a volcanic region, they're, they're known for two things. And the first is their soil produces a really good wine. So they're known as being winemakers and making really good wine. And the second is the area is known for being prone to earthquakes. Keep those two things in your pocket. We're going to come back to those. I just want to point those out. They're known for really good wine, and they're prone to earthquakes. Uh, but before we dig in, before we read the letter, I just want to pray for us that we just we just hear from the, the, the word this morning. God, I thank you that you are here in this space and place. You can, you can, we can read your word, and it's alive and well. And we thank you that the good news is the good news. Let your word be proclaimed this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So let's, let's dig into this mailbox. So let's, let's see, we got a letter. We got Philadelphia here, like I said. And I actually knew that we were getting this letter. So instead of looking here, I put it on the screen for ease of, of access. Ease of access. Let's, let's look at it. Alyssa did a great job of reading it for us. I want to read it for us one more time so the words can kind of soak in for us. Uh, it says this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my words and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet, Acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 11 continues, I, 
and coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. Now, in your group books, you'll notice that if you've been paying attention throughout this whole series, is that it calls to attention this idea that every letter gives a specific and unique characteristic about who Jesus is. And in this letter, we see very, uh, very early on in the letter, verse 7, that unique characteristic is that Jesus is holy, Jesus is true, and that Jesus holds the key of David. So Jesus holds this key that opens a door that once open, no one can shut, and once shut, no one can open. In other words, Jesus has the ultimate authority to accept or exclude anyone into God's kingdom. And once that decision is made, it cannot be reversed. Verse 8 says that Jesus knows your deeds. And, and that phrase, I know, is, is really intentional because in the book of Revelation, that, that phrase and its uh, uh, exact context is used seven times, and each time it's used to reference the omnipotence, the all-knowing that Jesus has, that Jesus knows everything just as God knows everything. So not only does Jesus have the key to open and shut a door that cannot be reversed, he knows everything just as God knows everything. Continuing on, we see that weird phrase, synagogue of Satan, right? I know that that phrase isn't in our normal vocabulary, hopefully, right? But synagogue of Satan. And, and if you've been paying attention, that phrase has popped up before, right? When we looked at the city of Smyrna, we realized that they were also in the, was the synagogue of Satan. And there's actually two things that both Philadelphia and Smyrna have in common that I want to point out. The first is that with both Philadelphia and with Smyrna, Christ finds no fault with them. All the other letters, there's fault that Christ finds. But with Philadelphia and Smyrna, Christ finds no fault with them. And the second is the synagogue of Satan. And both Philadelphia and Smyrna, there was a synagogue of Satan, and Satan was trying to, to advert the, the believers. You see, the Jewish synagogues, they turned against Christians because of the, the political adversary there. And if, and if you're paying attention, again, this, this idea of Satan is popping up all over the place. It seems like every single week, Satan, Satan, Satan. And it might, it might be kind of weird, right? We're, we're talking about a church who worship Jesus, and, and Satan is popping up. And that is because in this early church, Christ is pointing out that Satan is trying to advert. He's trying to displace believers. And he's trying to do that in two specific ways. The first is Satan's trying to advert his believers through suffering and trial. That if he can have people suffer and trial and to get their eyes off of Jesus. And he's also trying to advert, distract believers by making them complacent, by making them be okay with the status quo, quo, going with the flow, right? Because Satan doesn't have to get people to believe what he believes, necessarily do what he wants them to do. He just thinks it's a win if we just stay in the middle and don't pursue the kingdom of God. And in Philadelphia and Smyrna, Satan is trying to advert them through that first suffering 
and trial. Now, don't get me wrong, this, this whole letter is, is right up my alley. I, I like this whole letter, but verse 10 is really where we start uh, get flowing. I really start getting amped up here. So much so I gotta stay hydrated. But uh, here, here Christ is complimenting the church on, on its patience. They're, they are patient and enduring in the face of suffering. And if you've, if you've ever gone through a season of suffering, you know that patience is incredibly difficult. Whether it's being patient after a medical exam and waiting for the results, or a loved one having a bad accident and you don't know what's going to happen, whether it's relational or vocational or anything involving suffrage, being patient and enduring is hard. And this church is being patient and enduring in the face of suffering, and Jesus is commending them for that. And we see why they can be patient and endure in this season in verse 11. In verse 11, it says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The Philadelphian church, they can, they can be patient. They can endure because they know that Jesus is coming soon. And I want to dig in more of that later. But first, let's, let's finish the letter here. Uh, verse 12 says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, you of heaven and my own new name. Now here, ge geographical and historical context is important. Uh, in 17 AD, remember I said Philadelphia was prone to earthquakes. In 17 AD, there was an earthquake that left the city in shambles. And the rebuild was actually sponsored by the government. It was sponsored by the empire, so it was briefly renamed Caesar's new city. And here Jesus is saying that I will give you a name greater than Caesar's. He promises a new Jerusalem. He promises a city of my God. Verse 13, finish up. Let all who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is, the, this is Christ's letter to the church of Philadelphia. Now, if I had to pick a theme, one thing to really focus on this letter, it's, it's, it's this. It's be patient and endure, for Jesus is coming soon. Be patient and endure, for Jesus is coming soon. Now, if you remember, this area was prone uh, and known for two things, right? It was known for, for good wine. It was prone for earthquakes. And I actually think that we can see that theme of being patient and enduring for Jesus' coming soon in those two geographical notes. Uh, let's take wine, for example, right? Now, I'm not a sommelier, uh, but I may or may not know a little bit about the winemaking process. Uh, I, and what I do know is that there are a lot of things that a winemaker can control. They can control the grapes they use. They can control the location. Uh, oftentimes they can control the amount of water that they use. But in the post-process, they can control the container that they keep the wine in. But there's one thing that no winemaker can control, and that is the process. That is the time it takes to produce the wine, because winemaking is not an overnight craft. It takes time. It takes patience. 
It takes enduring the ups and downs of this calendar with hopes of a good flop in the end. And winemakers everywhere know this truth, and we can assume that if this area was known for wine, it was known for good winemakers. So this area was full of people who knew exactly that. They had to be patient. They had to endure in life's ups and downs. So this region, maybe this this church is full of, of people who knew what it was like to endure, knew what it was like to be patient. And in their patience, they see a beautiful crop. And Jesus is commending them for that endurance, commending them for that patience. Uh, what, what I like about uh, looking at the city of Philadelphia on, on Palm Sunday is that uh, Palm Sunday, we celebrate uh, Jesus and his triumphal em- uh, entry and, and screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, come save us. And that is the, the catalyst of his journey to the cross. And for this journey, Jesus needs a lot of patience. He needs a lot of endurance. And so we're reminded of the fact that in our endurance, we mirror our Messiah. Because at the crux of the Christian life is a life of endurance. You see, as Jesus endured to the foot of the cross, we endure until Christ's return. As Jesus endured to the foot of the cross, we endure until Christ returns. Now that leads us to our, our, our second geographical note. Earthquakes. And I've never really experienced an earthquake, uh, but I've, I've heard that it's not uncommon for earthquakes to leave a nasty trail in its path. Earthquakes can really shake up a person's life. Metaphorically speaking, earthquakes can be events in your life that leave you breathless. It can be situations that leave you speechless. Metaphorical earthquakes can leave you full of questions. Uh, if I may, uh, I want to share about a, an earthquake that my wife and I are going through right now. Um, in the beginning of this calendar year, we found out the good news that we were expecting a baby. And in the beginning of March of this year, we found out we lost our baby. And if you never experienced a miscarriage, I pray that you never do. But if you have experienced, you know what that's like and that everything after that positive test changes. You begin to think about baby names, you you begin to imagine what life when your family expands, but you also know that after that lost heartbeat, everything changes. You begin to ask yourself if the possibility to conceive again is possible. Your, your very being is consumed with sorrow over missing someone you've never met. I just want to stop right here. If you, re- if you relate to that, if you're going through that, come, come talk to me, come talk to Cassie, my wife, and reach out to us. We, and that invitation does not expire. If, if you are not going through a miscarriage, but in a year from now or a decade from now, suffering comes knocking on your door in the shape of a miscarriage, come, come seek us out. 
You shouldn't go through that alone. But I, I bring that up because I want to say this. I want to say that, yes, I miss forgiving part of life. It is incredibly hard. and It is the hardest thing that we've ever gone through. It's left broken pieces everywhere. But in this darkness, we've clung to the truth that we read in verse 11, that Jesus is coming soon. Paul David Tripp says that suffering doesn't change your theology, it reveals it. Before our miscarriage, we knew that God was good. We knew that he was sovereign and close. After it, and in the reality of our miscarriage, we, we know that God is good. We know that God is, is sovereign. And I just want to take a quick minute uh, to, to point out the, the wild thought press process that your suffering can, can change the reality of who God is. I've heard so many sad stories of, of professing believers saying they believe in Jesus and then something bad happens in their life and all of a sudden they don't believe in God. They said that God was good, something awful happens and they don't believe that God is good anymore. And that idea, quite frankly, is so pompous because it's so self-centered. Your suffering does not change the characteristics of who God is. Your bad situation doesn't change the promises we see in the gospel. When, when I've had friends that something bad has happened and their, their theology changes, but it's not their theology changes, it's been revealed. And what it revealed was that their theology was that their goodness of God is based on the goodness of their life. And when their life wasn't good, God wasn't good anymore. And that was their theology. So when their life wasn't good, God isn't good and they're left in shambles. But the reality is that the theology, the deity of who God is, that he is good despite our suffering. So if God is good before our suffering, he is good after our suffering. If God is sovereign before our suffering, he is sovereign after our suffering. Before our miscarriage, we knew these things. We knew that Jesus was coming soon. And we still cling to that. We still cling to that good news that Jesus is coming soon. I don't have to convince you guys that life is hard. I don't have to convince you guys that you're going to go through a metaphorical earthquake. I'm, I'm assuming that many of us right now are going through your own earthquake right now. And that might not take the shape of a miscarriage. It might take the shape of a, a medical exam where they, they found something they weren't expecting or being in a, a marriage that has fallen apart where you expected it to last a lifetime. Or maybe you haven't experienced an earthquake lately, or maybe not at all. And I'm not here, I'm not standing here to say that you have to suffer to follow Jesus well. But what I am saying is that in our suffering, we must cling to the promises, the truths that we see in Scripture, 
and the truth that we see in Scripture is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good, and that God created man in his own image. And then in Genesis 3, man believed a lie, and sin entered the picture, and the rest of humanity was broken because of it. And as we travel through the Old Testament, we see God's promises of a Messiah. We see God's promises of a Redeemer. And in the New Testament, we see that Redeemer. We see that Messiah taking the form of a baby. And that baby begins a journey of a life that leads to Palm Sunday, where people are screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. And, and the Messiah steps towards the cross, and in the adoring journey towards the cross, he is nailed to the cross, where his sin is nailed to the cross. Our, not his sin, our sin. Oh, our sin is nailed to the cross. Our shame is nailed to the cross so that we don't have to bear the consequences because Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the penalty of sin is death. And so Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He died for our shame. He died so we don't have to die. And the good news that does not stop there. The good news is that a few days later, he rose again so that all who believe shall have everlasting life and that whoever confesses with their mouth and believes with their heart that Jesus is Lord shall have everlasting life. And the good news is that it doesn't stop there is that he is with his people and that he says, I'm going to go back to my father, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I am going to leave with you the Holy Spirit who's going to be your counselor and I am coming soon. And we see that in Revelation 3 that Jesus is coming soon, but the good news doesn't stop there. And that in Revelation 21, we see that all things will be made new, that Jesus is coming back, and that every tear will be wiped from your eye, everything bad will be made new, nothing will be wasted, and that is the good news that we cling to before suffering and suffering and after suffering. We share the good news so that believers can know it, and so that so that non-believers can know it and that believers can be reminded of it because we need reminding of the good news. The good news is that while, yes, life is hard, Jesus is coming soon. So be patient, endure, and know that Jesus is coming soon. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you that you are, are so good. And I thank you that your your word, that your that scriptures just echo that and proclaim that, God. And I pray that we cling to that, Father, that we, we cling to the reality of your return the already not yet reality that all things will be made new and i know there are people here myself included that are going through earthquakes metaphor for earthquakes that have left them in shambles that have left them speechless We thank you that you are there with them. You thank you there with us. And I pray that we cling to the truth that you are coming soon. We pray this 
we declare this, God. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.